about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The second reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, which is on page 1153. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We're walking through Galatians, uh, and we've been walking with Paul a lot here. And what he's been doing through all of Galatians is calling the Galatian churches back to the beautiful central truth of the gospel, because they're in danger of leaving it behind and going on to other things. And so as we've walked through the letter, we've learned all these beautiful things that the gospel gives to us, that Jesus can give to us, that following the law and being an ethnic Jew just can't at all. Things like being saved by faith alone and getting a new legal uh, guilt-free verdict from God about being given the spirit of God, about being redeemed from the curse of the law, about not needing to be good enough to be acceptable to God. These are all beautiful things. I think tonight we reach the real summit of all those things. The real pinnacle of what the good news in Jesus Christ really gives to us that nothing else in this world could ever give to you. I think sometimes inner West Christians are in danger of thinking that, well, I could just get on with being a good secular person And that would look good enough to God. But what we see here is that there is something that the gospel gives that is so beautiful, unique, and powerful that when it detonates at the center of who you are, it really does change everything. And it really is only something that the God of the gospel is able to give. And that is the high privilege of being called sons and daughters of the living God. There is no other religion in the world. There is no other type or vision of who God is that could give that to us other than the God of the gospel. So really what I want tonight, I wish I could just get a little scripture grenade and chuck it in your heart and just watch it. Because that's what this text should do to you. It's not enough for you to say in your head that you're a child. It has to detonate in your heart. So what I'm going to do is try and tell you four things from this text about being a child of God, being a son or a daughter of God and why this truth should detonate in your life. First one is this. 
What does it mean to be a child of God, to be a son or a daughter? It means this. It means we have a seat. We have Jesus' seat at the table. We have Jesus' seat at the table. Paul opens, he says in verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Sons of God, that's the high title that we're looking at this evening. But did you notice how it's plural? It's a corporate identity. Being a child of God is not an individual trait. It's something that exists uh, for a community. It's a social identity. And this is a really important thing for Paul to say. Because what the Galatian churches are being told is that to be a Christian, to be acceptable to God, you have to have the social corporate identity of Judaism. You have to belong to the Jewish people. You have to be part of that privileged few. But what Paul says is clever. He says, no, you know, there's, there's a better corporate identity. A higher one. A better one. A more beautiful one. Being a son of God. Being of the community of the children of God. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he says in verse 27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, baptized being clothed, they're both kind of phrases for submerging someone. Baptism is like simulated drowning, right? You know that. That's why we dunk you under the water. We're trying to demonstrate that you're dead. Uh, So you get submerged in the water. Uh, same with clothing, you get covered. Who you are gets uh, um, behind a garment. Paul uses these two words to talk about the fact that when you trust Jesus, you get deluged with Him. You get covered by Him. You get intimately connected into His person, a unity with Him, personal and deep. So deep is that submersion that it covers over even your identity in this world in verse 28. We'll get back to that. And he says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All of you together have been, have been united into Jesus and you're sitting at his seat as one corporate identity at the Father's table. I don't know what your family table was like growing up. My table had four seats. Mum, Dad, Matt. Lauren, that was it. If you came over, you had to sit in someone's seat who was already at the table, right? You had to sit in Matt's seat or Lauren's seat or Mom's seat or Dad's seat. Now, Mom's seat, she got a really good chair. I don't know what that was about. You know, we had a whole other table for guests because they weren't allowed at our family table. You know, God's table has one seat belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the true seed of Abraham. He is the heir of all the blessings of God and all of God's promises. There is one seat in God's house and it belongs to Jesus. If you want to sit in God's house, you've got to sit in Jesus' seat. And that's what happens in the gospel. What happens in the gospel is you get covered, submerged in Jesus. You get placed in Jesus' seat. That's what it means to be a son or daughter of God, to belong to this corporate community of sons and daughters who together form a body sitting in the seat at the table of God the Father. It's a stunning privilege. It makes us heirs according to verse 29. We receive all of the things that Jesus receives. Now, this truth should change the way you relate to your brothers and sisters. 
That's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're Jew or you're Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if you follow the Jewish law or not. There is a higher social identity. Son, daughter. Is there a social lens that changes the way you approach other people in this service? Their age, their job, their background. Nothing should stand between us once we have been um, submersed together into Jesus Christ. You are sitting with fellow sons and daughters. And you know what? You're not a son or daughter without them. It's not just an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. Together we are sons and daughters. Let that define our life together. Not anything else. See, the first thing about being a child of God is it means that we together are seated We are in Jesus' seat at the table. But the second thing that happens, and the reality here, is that, well, if that's true, then we are really not who we thought we were. You know, you walked into church this evening, and something happened today. I know. Something happens to everyone every day. Some real success or some real sadness, some real joy, some mundanity, something. You walked in here with a story in your head about who you are. It may have pent up over the year, might have pent up over this week, might have pent up or blown up today, I don't know. All of us walk in with this this complex identity, parts that we play up and play down and all these kinds of things. Let me tell you, you walked in tonight, but you are not who you think you are. Because being a son, a daughter of God, reorders all of your other identity markers. That's what Paul does. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. The three social demarcators in the ancient world. Gender, ethnicity, and slavehood, or freedom. He says none of them matter. None of them are who you actually are. When you become a son or daughter, all those things are just relativized to such little significance in comparison to the beautiful status you've been given. See, all of us play up or down parts of our identity. I like to play up the Greek part of my identity. Aroni, I tell this cute story about an island off Greece and a people group who got pushed around the Mediterranean, and etc. Um, but every time I tell the story, Cass comes to me, my wife, um, and she says, you know you're not Greek, what, right? You're like an eighth Greek. You're like seven-eighths Welsh. Or just white British boy, you know? Uh, I, I love to play up the fact I'm Greek. Um, I love to take that piece of identity and inflate it. But it's, it's really a small part of who I am. You know, we do this with all types of things. Often we do it with our deepest wound, our deepest sadness in life, or with our last victory. We, we elevate that and make that the pinnacle point of who we, we understand ourselves to be. But when you become a son and daughter, that becomes elevated above all other things. All these other things become relative. It's not like you stop becoming female or you stop being a slave in the ancient world or you stop being uh, your ethnicity. It's just that those things are trumped by who you are in Jesus. The bedrock core of who you are is now with and like Him. I do this um, activity on my day off. Um, I call it soul and roll. 
you should all take a Sabbath every week. Friday is my Sabbath. And on my day off, what I try and do is I sit down and I do this anchoring spiritual task. Soul and role. My role this week was to pastor people. I did that really badly here and really well here. I was to be a husband. I was to do these things. These are my roles. But my soul, I'm a son. These things happen this week. But this is who I am. And you need moments where you anchor yourself in who you actually are. Because when you become a son and daughter through faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer who you thought you were anymore. That's not to say that the, 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 the things that make you, you are not important. You know, uh, Jesus is on about bringing Islamic Afghan men into the kingdom and Filipino women and ancient Carthagian, you know, Greeks. In their individuality, in their beauty, you and you and you and you, all of us gathered in, but who we are is sons and daughters. That's the second thing. The third thing about being a son or daughter is it means this. It means that we are no longer slaves. This is where Paul goes next. You see, we have this default understanding in our culture at this time that if there is a God then we start really tight and close with him. That we have innate perfection and connection to him. But the Bible says the opposite, that we don't start as sons and daughters. We start as slaves. Here's what Paul says. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So J.K. Rowling's son or daughter or Elon Musk's or Steve Jobs or Sheryl Sandberg or, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg, insert rich person you admire here, they're children, right? They grew up in a privileged house. But technically, though they will one day inherit, you know, millions, billions, when they are children, they have nothing. There's always a transition moment when they go from being just a nobody to being the inheritor of the Zuckerberg wealth, the Rowling wealth, the Sanderberg wealth. There's a transition from being nothing to suddenly being the heir of all the things. And that's exactly what happened in the ancient world. Even if you were the heir of the house, you would grow up along with the slaves and you were no different to them. There was a moment of transition from being little more than a slave to being a son and an heir. And what Paul is trying to say here is all of us have a transition. We start as nothing, as slaves, and become sons and daughters. We don't start there. What he says is, so also when we were children, verse 3, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, that's a difficult phrase, basic principles of the world. But what he's describing is that every human being has a default religious slavery reflex. We are hardwired, almost, to enslave ourselves to some good thing. Uh, for example, um, I've had an iPhone for a couple of years, and it took me a while to realize that there was the heart app there, the, you know, the one that built in, and it tells you how far you walk that day, how many steps. And I'm like, oh, data, sweet data. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm like, how many steps did I go today? How far did I go today? 
Oh, there's a monthly average. There's a yearly average. Okay, so tomorrow I'm going to make sure I run this far because then my average will go up by 100 meters for the whole week. And then I'll make sure that I do that every day because then my month will be up and then my year will get up and then we'll, you know, I'll be doing a K longer. And I seriously got into this mindset with this app and all of a sudden thought to myself, what am I doing? I am literally living for a 100 meter increase in my daily kilometer distance across a year. What is wrong with me? But do you see what I'm saying? We, we, we find ourselves reflexing into these kind of spiritual slaveries. Uh, you know, A Christmas Carol, if you go watch that, go watch The, uh, the Man Who Invented Christmas. Great movie about Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol being written. Um, Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol to demonstrate to the religious, uh, to the bureaucratic elite that their lack of love for the poor was a real problem. And he decided that he couldn't just advocate for it. If he wrote a story about it, he could really get them. And one of the moments early in the story is when there's Scrooge, the obviously main character, uh, meets the ghost of his dead partner, Marley. Marley walks into the room with chains on him, clinking away, clinking away, clinking away. And in the discussion, Marley describes what his chains are. And he says, these were the chains that I forged for myself in life. Clink by clink by clink, I put them together of my own free will. What I forged for myself in life, I now wear in death. The sobering little moment. That's a beautiful depiction from Dickens about how the pursuit of money ends up being not just uh, you know, merchant, you know, wise wisdom. Uh, it's a spiritual slavery. Clink by clink by clink. We enslave ourselves to good things that we think will give us rest and security in life, but just enslave us to constant, incessant doing. I wonder what enslaves you. You see, the point of Christmas, according to this passage, is that God didn't want to leave us in our slavery. But when the time had fully come, verse 4, God sent His Son, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law in Galilee, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Do you know what it takes to get someone out of slavery in the ancient world? A price, a ransom, a redemption cost. And what happens in this passage is God sends his son into the world to pay our redemption cost, to break apart the chains of our own self-imposed slavery to good things that ultimately do not deliver, but spiritually addict and destroy us. And Jesus pays a redemption cost that also covers our adoption fee and brings us into the kingdom of God from slaves to sons, from the outside to the inside. You know, this is outrageous mercy. There is no reason why God the Father should save you from your slavery. No reason. Than that he freely wants you to be a son or daughter instead. The crazy thing 
is that we always prefer slavery. That's the whole reason why Paul writes this letter. In verse 8 that Roger's going to preach on next week, he talks about them enslaving themselves again. Verse 9, same, using the same word for basic principles of the world in this text. Basically, our reflex is always not to live as sons, but to live as slaves. Why? What's with that? We're supposed to no longer be slaves because of what Jesus has done, but we always submit ourselves under it. And I think the fourth thing I want to say tonight helps us understand why. The, re- the reason why we always submit ourselves to new slavery is that we do not know how good a thing it is that Jesus' Father has become our Father. You see, when it detonates in your heart, the fullness of what your adoption means, you don't look to other things to secure your life other than your good Father. Because the fourth thing this evening is, what does it mean to be a child of God? It means that Jesus' Father has now become your Father. Do you see that? Verse 8, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. It's, an, it's a stunning phrase. You know, God the Father sends the Son into the world to pay your redemption Christ, uh, cost at Christmas. And He sends the Spirit into the world, into your heart. And, and in your heart, the Spirit is crying out like a little baby, crying up to God the Father. Why? Because when God the Father looks down, what does He see? What does He hear? He hears the cry of His son, of His daughter. And the Spirit is all day long praying, Father, 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 praying when you don't pray, praying when you feel dry and empty, praying when life is awful, praying when life is good, praying when you're good at reading your Bible, praying when you're not good at reading your Bible, all day long establishing a permanent relationship with Jesus' Father, with the Eternal Father. You see, the fullness of what it means to be adopted, to become a son or daughter, is to be in some remarkable way drawn up into the life of God as Trinity. Through the person of Jesus Christ, bound to Him. God the Father is your Father. Permanently, deeply, remarkably, unendingly, unchangeably, freely, and eternally. You see, when that drops in your heart, when that detonates, when you know that God the Father has your back, that nothing will shift His love from you, that changes things. Let me try and bring it home and bring this to a close with this story. Um, one of my friends showed me recently how uh, a lot of stories coming out of Hollywood recently have been about fatherhood. Go search um, Marvel movies and fathers later. Mind-blowing. Last 10 years of movies all about fathers. But my favorite story about fathers recently uh, was uh, in Stranger Things. Netflix, right? I only get Netflix to watch the new Stranger Things season. And the last episode in Stranger Things 2, Stranger Things is about a girl with superpowers. That's it. Executive summary. And... um, during this season, she uh, kind of becomes this pseudo-adopted child of this police officer who's had a hard past, lost a child, lost his wife. 
uh, and they kind of become this pseudo-family. Uh, and at the end of the story, this girl has to defeat this evil thing and can't really do it. She's tried in the past and hasn't. But the last, one of the last scenes of the whole season is them going down to this pit. And it, this pit looks like hell. Like it looks like fire and brimstone and oh, evil, kind of hellish place. And the scene kind of comes back and you see this single elevator coming down to the depths of this hell. And you see in the lift the police officer holding the girl. And what happens is the thing that she could not face, the thing that she could not do, she is able to do. Why? With a father holding her hand. Because the reality of the Christian life is when you know in your bones that Jesus Christ actually went to hell because God the Father wanted to adopt you to be his son and daughter. When that's in your bones, you don't submit yourself to any slavery. You can walk through hell. You can walk through dark places. Because your soul is anchored not in anything you do, not in anything you are, not in anything you have, not anything in the past, not anything in the future, but in the fact that Jesus' Father is now your Father. And He will lead you from here to eternity. Let's pray. Father, we want to lay out before you this evening the, the cobbled identity we've put together for ourselves. Uh, bits and bobs of pain and difficulty and suffering and joy and things and things we hold too close from our achievements and our past and people in our lives. So we lay it out cobbled before you and we say, by your spirit, preach to our hearts that the better thing we are is a son and daughter. Father, I pray for a room full of people, some of whom are just giving themselves into a new slavery even today. And I pray, Father, that they would instead feel your hand in theirs. And that then the Spirit crying out to you. And know in their bones that you are now their Father. And so they can walk through whatever will come for the sake of Jesus. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.